0: Welcome to the official podcast channel of SIREN, the social interventions research and evaluation network based at the University of California, San Francisco. Today's episode was originally recorded during a virtual event and has been lightly edited for ease of listening. We're gonna transition to hear from Dr. Ryan Padaway, um, who is a social epidemiologist, health equity scholar, and a poet who combines all of those into really amazing poetry. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Ryan, um, now.
1: Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I'm so happy to be here. Also, I think this is a perfect spot after that discussion, and then the one that's coming up after this, for me to start talking about anti-racism, decolonizing Us, right? We like to talk about structural racism out there. We're going to go study it and really like think about this. Some of you are at UCSF. I'm up here in Portland. Aren't our institutions structurally racist? Aren't we not paying our fair share property taxes? Aren't we not paying a living wage? How many people that are working at UCSF are women of color, low income, not paid a living wage, exposed to carcinogens at work, and then they become future cancer patients? Right? All of the issues are not out there for us to go study and colonize and extract. Sometimes it's us that we need to do our own inner work, and so. And what I try to do is articulate uh, as a social epidemiologist, engaging in critical theory, the ways in which we need to start talking about structural racism, not just as something to be studied, but to something uh, studied out there with something we need to start working on ourselves. And so those last few comments that Monica and Crystal shared about, you know, the things that we can do ourselves, journal editorial boards, things of that nature, I think it's a good uh, segue into what I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to share a screen, at least I'm going to attempt to share a screen. There's an abstract somewhere on the website that explains some of this talk. And so I'm going to save y'all all the, all the things and let y'all read that and just get right into it. Before I do that, I'm going to um, open this up with some Audrey. You can see behind me right here, Audrey is core of why I decided to get all bold and audacious and to start bringing poetry into peer-reviewed public health spaces. And so I think I want to start there. And I'll read this quote to you because I, the title of this talk is in part informed by Bill Hooks. Uh, Marginality is also a site of radical possibility, a space of resistance, a central location for the production of counter-hegemonic discourse. That is not just found in words and habits of being and in the way one lives, a site one stays in, clings to even, because it nourishes one's capacity to resist. It offers to one the possibility of radical perspective from which to see and create and imagine alternatives, new worlds. I'm gonna read two poems uh, for Poetic Health Justice. First one, this piece appeared in the International Journal of Epidemiology back in February. I'm pretty sure it's the first poem of this kind of ever appear in the public health peer review literature. Again, imagining new futures, resistance, radical possibility, um, opening new lanes for discourse of structural racism, what it is, what it's not, who it excludes, who it ex- uh, includes, excludes, right? So if you think nationally, for example, Uh, So I just made tenure. I'm an associate professor now. That puts me like 1% of African-American male professors in schools of public health nationally, something like that, and less than 6% um, of tenure-track public public health faculty are Black nationally. And so we have to ask ourselves, who is doing the research about us? It's mostly scholars at predominantly white universities and white scholars that are getting funded to do racial inequalities research, right? So what does that mean? Because every time someone gets a grant, their university gets fiscal and administrative, and they get to go out and spend money for the university. It has nothing to do with the topic of research. And then on top of that, the scholars themselves, they get tenure, they get to go to conferences, they get to put their kids through college based off of our pain and our suffering, because it's usually only a deficit's focus when they're studying us, right? So the idea is how can we take control of the story and how can we call in our own institutions for essentially being structurally racist and engines of racial capitalism and then patting themselves on the back? So I'd say what I said, I mean, every word. Uh, I have a paper in the Journal of Critical Public Health that lays these out in more detail if you wanna check that out. But for now, let's read this poem. Something, 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 by race, 2021.
2: Keep piling our bodies upon
1: our bodies, counting the ways we go silent. We tell them, as we told them for decades, how to care for our limbs before they go missing. How to listen to our lungs and hear the words we push from our scratched throats before the fluid and smoke and scar tissue eat our air, I, Imagine our pleas smell like necrotic, not cones, wisp of a godless prayer that twists into a line of least squares, fade.
2: From spectacular, black to something decidedly ordinary. Oh, how quickly we learn to hang
1: degrees on drywall. How to squeeze our lives into starved models, stripped naked for the pleasure of a statistician's lusting parsimonious eyes, finding findings found within findings, founded upon foundations, found before one could find a spice or a continent to mash. Our bodies, cornerstone, and our cause remains lost. A death with no preceding life is a birth, is it not? Perhaps, if we stack our bodies high enough, we can ask the sun not to make us so stackable, so beautiful on paper. All right. Next time you walk by a school of public health or a hospital, you see that cornerstone, think about where that money came from. It probably came from studying uh step fiscal and administrative fees or paying somebody's, paying somebody's mortgages, paying the bite bills. I got a hat tip to Dr. LaConte Dill, Michigan State right now. Excavated this quote. From Decolonial Scholar, uh, on my stays there and her dissertation work when she was at UC Berkeley. I'm also a fellow alum at UC Berkeley. Poetic knowledge is born in the great silence of scientific knowledge. 3,500 words is not a lot of space to say things that we need to say. And sometimes we need to say things that don't have to be in that format. That's the silence that's an erasure of scientific discourse. It basically says that we don't belong. The knowledge from the margins and expressions, creative expressions from the margins, somehow we just leave that out as if it's not a legitimate form of communication, expression of knowledge, right? Um, that's what Bill Hooks talks a lot about. And Amayasay um, talked about this in terms of uh, poetic poetry as a source of knowledge. And of course, in the context of decolonizing, it's important um, that when we see ourselves, and I say we, those at the margins, people of color, people in uh, queer, trans communities, when we see ourselves representing the public health scholarship, how do we see ourselves? Do we even recognize ourselves? Because who's telling our story and what do we look like? Are we always in a bar chart? Are we always threaded between the regression line? Is that the only time we see ourselves? And for students and scholars and professors and physicians, think about your training. And every time you had a conversation about a person of color or someone from the LGBTQ community, they were being compared to somebody else you weren't honoring listening to their stories. Like every time you hear a conversation about, for example, health inequalities, and you hear about Black health in a classroom the schools of public health, it's always worse than, it's always compared to white. It's never about joy or resistance or positivity. So these representations that we have in our public health and medical discourse, think about the damage that they're done. They're done by the white gaze for the white gaze, and they're creating representations of our experiences and our truth and our knowledges. And so the question here, and Linda Smith, the colonial scholar, indigenous, the colonial scholar talks about. You know, is raising this idea that this idea of misrepresentations become truth, and that sometimes we can barely recognize ourselves when we read the papers about us that we had nothing to do with, right? And that's where this piece kind of comes from: "Relatives Risk" or "I Am Not Your Data." Oh, to Delphine's Walk, Part Two. Delphine, my great auntie, passed in 2020. Uh, this poem was written shortly there after that, and so this is like a tribute to her and my reflection as a Black social epidemiologist and what it means for me to be where I am in this space. Uh, she was born in Booth, Alabama, about 20 minutes from Montgomery. Folks will know that Montgomery was the inside of the Civil Rights March in uh, 1965. And so I think about what that meant in 2020 when it was an election year and that my family has roots in Booth. And so the, the literal and symbolic meaning of what it means for me to be where I am because of the progress that we've made and where we started from Booth and the Booth um, and what I can do within this space to uh, to move conversations forward.
2: Epidemiology. Legions of credentialed humans without the cognitive capacity to comprehend the difference between being at risk and being
1: risked. You wish to plot us and scatter our bones between proximal and distal ends of a sphere to partition our varied flesh, the way a rock might divide a stream bringing forth alluvial futures, only to be siphoned off to water fields, flooded with illogics, dressed in the discourse of common sense, levied with citations designed to engulf our communities with precarity. Armies of statistical engineers manufacturing measures of vulnerability to be paired with pink boa scarves and jet black stilettos. Oh yes, these models are worn. Like the soles of my great aunt's shoes, broken over stochastic terrains from Booth to Detroit to Portland, 10 decades and 3,100 miles of weathering narratives of risk dangling from manuscript titles like the limbs of black men Iola loved. And you think you know the curve of her artists because you raised and recorded her blood pressure? Use predominance to count her steps, not knowing the reason she walks, born by a river that has yet to crest, and yet you know what's best for her. Swimming lessons? Part two. You call us out our names. Literally refer to us as your lowercase ends. Ignore centuries of resistance embodied and remembered in the melon and the metal of melons and miles of grace and the folds of their fingers. You... Regress us. Reduce our resolve to residuals, misspecify our magic as marginal, confuse our truth with your facts. You can kiss this non-parametric ass over its full distribution. You know nothing of relative risk. I am a great nephew. I am a proud son. I am a blossom, the new fruit from a seed dropped long ago and rooted. I am not your data. I am a fist formed to forge futures where knuckles heal and hearts mend in the company of home and alluvial gifts springing forth from soil where my aunt's arches press rain water towards the sky stretched open by sounds of organs and bad hips dancing in ceremony. I am not your data. I am your future. I am in communion with visionaries peering into reviews of our hues. We are the remakers, the remixed, resampling, repurposed on a rehab to reimagine and reclaim causal relationships, the effects re-estimated, the reminder, the re-articulation, the power from margins, correcting your errors because ours are correct. We love ourselves fully,
2: unadjusted. So no. We do not flatten curves. We bend arcs. And that's net. Um,
1: I'll leave this quote here. This is how I move. This is what I try to do. If there's time, I can take a question. Otherwise, I want to drop this here. Opening new lanes, uh, really putting bell hooks, Audre Lorde and others into practice. Uh, This is the first ever peer reviewed standing poetry section in a public health journal created. Dreamed up, made manifest uh, with co conspirators and homies. Dr. LaConte Gill at Michigan State University, uh, LaConte Dill at Michigan State University, and Shanae Birch is currently at Columbia doing a doctorate program. Submissions uh, are open. So if you got some bars, you got some fire, you know what to do with it, send it to us. We'll try to find it at home. And I should say that that second poem I read is coming out in the Journal of Critical Public Health, like soon, maybe tomorrow or the next day. And so um, if you have questions, feel free to email me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so happy to share the space with you.
0: Thanks for listening to this Siren podcast episode. Andrew Fancouche does our editing and sound design. Nylin Thone designed our cover art and Aurélien Jougla composed our music. Yuri Cartier, that's me, and Dylan Gonzalez produced this limited podcast series. Find out more by visiting S-I-R-E Network. questions or comments? Email us at siren at ucsf.edu. And lastly, let it be known that the views and opinions of the participants on this podcast do not necessarily state or reflect those of the Regents of the University of California, UCSF, UCSF Medical Center, or any entities or units thereof. Take care.